Hi, I'm Kristen Ludlow from NBA Inside Stuff, and you're listening to the Double Clutch Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Double Clutch Podcast, presented by Leaning. I'm Mike Miller, and as usual, I'm joined by Mr. Joe Holbert. Hi, Mike. How's it going? Very, very well, actually. I'm really enjoying these early tip-offs and you know, the fact that they've spread the games out. There's no sort of two on at the same time, meaning that basically my weekend evenings are just taken up for about eight hours with straight basketball. So I'm enjoying that. Yeah, they've structured it well, haven't they? Yeah, I, I kind of hope it carries on, but I've got a horrible feeling that the uh, the smaller and smaller the rounds get, the later and later these games are going to go uh, until we're back to the uh, the horrible finals, 2.30, 3am tip-off times. Um, but, Selavi, uh you alright? Yeah, I'm good. I've really enjoyed these playoffs, actually. I've enjoyed them a lot more than last year. We we I think it's been really good the way that the start of the year, basically everyone was shooing in, say everyone, there were people who didn't, shooing in, uh, Cavs Warriors round four and now we're at a stage where there are more than two horses in this race uh, I think it's fair to say but let's jump straight in with some uh, some in memoriam stuff I guess then because uh, the Portland Trailblazers this summer is already here in a, a somewhat surprising 4-0 sweep at the hands of the Pelicans or the wings of the Pelicans whichever you prefer um, what did you make of this series then? Well, I had the opposite going down. I thought the Blazers were going to sweep the Pelicans. Oh, my, wow. Okay. My logic was that I felt the Pelicans were kind of lightning in a bottle and Pelicans, I thought Aminu and Harkless would shut down the Pelicans' three-point shooters. But what I didn't take into account is that there's no human in the NBA who can defend Anthony Davis. And he <laughs> absolutely ripped you to pieces. This, I've got to be honest... I know it was a sweep. This was my, probably wasn't your favourite series. This was my favourite series. I don't know why. It just kind of felt like a lot of people, weird people, sort of slated Anthony Dave saying, oh, he should drag this team over the line, even though he's not had a great team around him. Mm. But he was otherworldly, and I was really happy to see that. I enjoyed the series, despite what people may think. I think it showed up Portland's limitations, which I've been all more than vocal about and you're right Anthony Davis is just an absolute star and it it was just so many just watching him catch lobs I could sit and watch him catch lobs all day it's just he's just he's just too good and you said there's no human in the NBA I'm not sure there's any human anywhere that if you stuck him around AD they'd be able to handle him he's just He's just so unique, and I, I'm you know I'm not afraid of saying how much I think the guy's brilliant. I still I still get nervy with his injury record, but wow, I had this going a, a lot closer. I had it either four two or four three Blazers, but goes to show that the best player having the best player on the court goes a heck of a long way, especially when uh, your main guards, well main guard main scorers for Portland particularly got locked up. And no one else stepped up, if that makes sense. I've, I found that this this is exactly the issues that the Blazers have had, is that they're so over-reliant on CJ and Dame that no one else is able to, to, to fill the void if they're not feeling it. And fair enough, in the regular season, they might have an off night. But this is this is where defensive intensity just completely broke their game down. Yeah, and I think you've got to give Drew Holiday a lot of credit. Yeah, yeah. As I've mentioned before, the Blazers try and get their guard sort of attacking downhill off the ball, off cuts. Drew Holiday just wasn't having any of it. So what was happening is Nurkic 
and um, Collins were ending up sort of handing it off to Evan Turner and Mo Harkless and a lot to Aminu. That's not going to end well. So I think some of it is that the Blazers' scheme was just completely destroyed in a way by the Pelicans' defence. But um, the Pelicans' offence, I'm with you on the lobs as well, but it's not that easy. They, they are so well designed, their pick and roll plays, that he, even if he wasn't open, you'd have some other action going on at the same time. I just think they blitzed you completely in so many ways. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and it, the lob plays are so easy for them because they're all off the back of essentially reverse pivots as soon as he's waiting for the entry pass in the post. And they have to kind of almost front the post to deny him the ball. And the minute he sees the, the, the sort of aggressive defence coming over the top, he just spins the other way. And yeah. if if you let him get the ball in the post, he's so good. Some of the shots he makes... in. You know when he's triple teamed and going up in the air and hanging and releasing these little floaters and things, he he's just he's just too good. Are, are you worried at all that this layoff now is going to somehow affect their rhythm because they've been they have been on a roll? Personally, I think it might benefit Davis, as you said. He's got the he's got the um, injury history and he's been playing big physical minutes at both ends. Mm-hmm. That's the thing with Davis; he takes the best player at the other end as well. This is like Jimmy. Same with Jimmy Butler. This is why these guys get injured because they got a heavy load on both sides of the ball. Um, I don't think so. Though. I think this is actually quite an experienced roster. You've got Rajon Rondo, who has been there and done it all at pre- on many different types of teams: one seeds, eight seeds. He knows what it takes. Um, and I think Alvin Gentry, the way he's kind of, you know, we we said coming in to this postseason that there's no pressure on the Pelicans. I don't think because it's honestly amazing they got here given their second best player got injured Mm. I think that sort of freedom they're playing with I think that is what one of the things that sort of put them over the edge against Portland whereas Portland they were three seed it doesn't matter what people think whether they were the three seed or should have been there or not if you're the three seed you're under pressure end of you've got home advantage so there's always going to be a fallout from that and I think the Pelicans can take advantage of that moving forward See, I had a slightly different take on the three seed because a lot because there were higher expectations because they're the three seed. And to me, yes, they are. They've got the home court advantage, but that wasn't to say they were actually three spots better than this sixth seed because there's only one game difference between them. And I just it, the, the way that this this Western Conference has been so clumped together. It's 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 really difficult, apart from those two front runners, to establish any sort of pecking order. And so, yes, I expected them to win the series, but I I just the 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 weight of being a three a third seed, I I never saw them as a a, a true third seed, if that makes sense. But where, where do you think the Blazers go from here? Because they're you know five years straight in the playoffs, great. They've gone through a big rebuild on the fly, great. They're um. An interesting one in terms of roster construction. There's some bad contracts on there. <laughs> interesting is <laughs> interesting word. <laughs> um, they're a small market team. Their only real hope of of getting people the way this is constructed is is through trades. W- what are your thoughts on where they go? Well, first things first. I don't know if you're going to agree with this, but I saw Mark. I think it was Mark. It was either Stain or Woes tweeted straight away. That Terry Stotts might lose his job because they've lost um, is it twelve straight in the playoffs. I think 
Yeah, it will uh, yeah, be, won't got, it? Yeah, they got yeah. swept by the Warriors, yeah. Yeah, it's either 10 or 12 straight. Um, that might cost him his job, and the magic will be interesting. Personally, I don't think he's the problem. I know I've been critical of his offense, but I had a look at your roster, and I had a look at some advanced stats, lineup stats, and watched some more Blazers regular season games. I think, honestly, the fact you were... I know you don't see yourself as the three seed, or true th- uh, three seed. The fact you were there is pretty amazing. You've got a good backcourt. Yeah. Outside of that, you've got Harkless and Aminu. For me, you don't need both. You need one or the other. I see them as the same sort of player, a, a wing who can hit an open three now and again. If you leave them open, they're defensive-minded. Your front court, I mean, yeah, Collins is promising. Nurkic, he got bullied in that series. Now, mm-hmm. I wanna, I wanna say one thing about him. I don't, I don't actually care that he got bullied by Anthony Davis because there's no one who can stop Anthony Davis. But he's just got no mobility at all. Like he can't defend cutters. He can't defend any off the ball stuff. So I think the fact, honestly, that you're where you are is pretty amazing. Personally, I think the buck should stop with Neil Olshay. I don't need. I don't know if you saw his interview. Straight after uh, the one about uh, ten days ago. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I will yeah. say one thing. I follow a lot of Blazers fans because they're one of the teams that really sort of. I've enjoyed following over the last couple of years. There were a lot of people, regardless of the results, still very critical of this roster. That, you know, the Evan Turner contract, the Al Farouk Aminu contract, um, you've got to remember the Plumley one as well. I mean, this is these are a lot of um a lot of bad contracts. And I think you can trace it all back to that one off season where they decided to go for it, thinking the cap would rise. I think the Wizards did the same thing with Jan Mahimi as well. Um, I personally think Olshay is the one who should go, not Stotts. I don't know how yeah. you feel about that. Uh, you're spot on. I think that, as you said, the buck stops with Olshay. Um, yeah, it was the the famous summer of '16, the gold rush, um, as it should be remembered in my mind at least. Uh, yeah, they paid money to Evan Turner, put seventy mil his way. They put forty mil on Harkless, forty mil on May- Myers Leonard. Um, <sighs> That's the worst yeah. one, that. So, so they're both Harkless and Leonard are earning uh, ten mil next year, eleven mil the, next, the year after that. Harkless, I think, is the more movable contract out of the two. But if you can get rid of one, you definitely want to get rid of Leonard. Uh, Turner, seventeen million next year, eighteen million the year after. I, I, I hated that the minute it was signed. Um, the difficulty is as well. This roster could look very different next year because Ed Davis is a free agent. Nurkic's contract is up. Do you re-sign him? They panic bought in on Leonard when he was uh when his rookie contract was up. I I don't think they should re-sign Nurkic at this level he's going to want. I, I think they let him go and sniff around, and then if they get the opportunity to match it, then consider it. I've got. I just get the feeling that these guys pay more than market value for the players they sign, and, and maybe that's because they're a small market and need to get the talent in, but they are overplaying overpaying guys who can't deliver. Um Napier's free agent, Connaughton's a free agent. It it could look very different because that's their that's their sort of extended rotation. Yeah, and it's I'm with you on Nurkic. For me, if you're a playoff team and you and there's a guy that can't play in the playoffs, like Nurkic literally could not be on the court in the playoffs. He was that they should for me Ed Davis about more minutes. But um, if you if a guy can't play in the postseason, what that what's the point? 
Mm-hmm. What is the point in? I'm I'm not saying like obviously rotation short, but Nurkic is supposed to be a starter, and if he can't defend against mobility, it's the same argument of Hassan Whiteside. What's the point? You can't put someone on your court on the court in the biggest games of the season. You don't pay them. For me, it's that simple. I could see Portland having a look at someone like Nerlens Noel when he gets out of Dallas. I think that's the kind of player they're going to target. But the Evan Turner thing is just a monstrosity. I I don't know if you want to hear these stats, but your offense was when he was on the court. You scored nine. You had an offensive rating of ninety four, and it and it went up to a hundred and five when he went off. And the funny thing is with him as well, he was supposed to be this sort of defensive anchor. Your defense was better when he was on the bench by five points. So, and no one's taken that contract. There is, there's just he doesn't have. He's not the type of player that teams want in this NBA. He's not a great shooter. He plays at a slow pace. Um, he's not an elite enough defender, I don't think, to sort of make up for that. So, you, yeah, you are stuck with him. I'm afraid. Yeah, no, I don't. <laughs> Yeah, I'm afraid to. Um, but, okay, so Kevin O'Connor, the ringer, um, did a Should They Shouldn't They Blow Up the Blazers article recently, and he uh, took a poll on whether they should trade one of them and which of the, the, the two should they, if they were to trade. Have you got any thoughts on whether they stick with this backcourt or whether they should look to blow it up? See, I, vote, I voted in that poll. I voted to keep Lillard because I think he's... I just think he's better. Um, McCollum is good. And this begs a question, and one of my followers tweeted this. He said, can Lillard and McCollum get you far? Because, I mean, you've been vocal about this as well. What's your ceiling with two undersized, high-powered guards? Um, a lot have argued that the Blazers were better when you had Wes Matthews in the backcourt. I mean, I'd like to get your take on that. Do you think Lillard was better when he had a sort of defensive two-guard next to him? He didn't get too much time with Wes Matthews is the only difficulty that I see in that. And and that team was was a transitioning team. I think CJ is a, a great, great player. But they are very, very similar in many aspects of their game. Um, I think CJ settles for the mid-range more than Dame does. Dame, Dame goes to the drives more and is probably well, he's the more athletic of the two. But they're both two guys who need the ball in their hands for an offense to run and if we look at the other sort of if we look at the elite backcourts around the rest of the league barring uh the rockets who have two guys who can have the ball but actually pass it as well everyone else you seem to have an on-ball off-ball combination so like steph and clay um and as much as you might you know as much as they may hate each other the the wall and beal pairing as well and i just find that these two guys um too similar in their needs for the ball that that the ceiling's never going to be that high because it's it's quite easy to to lock in on them if that makes sense um they need to work on their off the ball game if they can do that then the ceiling will go up but two undersized two undersized guards for me is is always a struggle because the minute you get up against guys like clay thompson we saw it last year we saw it the year before he just he just snuffs them out yeah, and it begs the question, I mean, would you trade CJ and what kind of package would you get? I've seen a couple saying that you should maybe look at three-team trade and get someone in the mould of, I don't know, Buddy Hield or Bogdan Bogdanovich. Not that exact player, but someone who is going to play mm. off-ball and probably defend a little bit as well. 
But then, you know, I don't think Lillard and Heald is better than Lillard and McCollum. It might be a better fit. No. That doesn't mean you're going to win more games. Um, for me, the big problem is actually in the front court. There's no playmakers in that front court. You know, they signed Leonard. Leonard, if I'm right in thinking, when he sort of broke out, he was it was mainly as sort of a spot-up shooter. Yep. Um, that's that's great, but if the ball sticks, you're not going to be able to free up a spot-up shooter. And this is the problem a lot of teams are having, is that just standing a guy in the corner, teams actually don't mind defending against that. You want more motion, but you need playmakers for that. You need a good... I mean, Portland, what I'm saying is, if Portland had a good P&R role, man, I think this de- this offense would be pretty good. Yeah, no, I think that's a fair point. Um, I remember saying on the pod last year, and it was a very hot take at the time, that I, if I would consider which of the two to trade... And it's not, and it's because of how good he is, rather than a slight to his game. It would be Lillard over McCollum because I felt you'd get more back for him. Um, I don't necessarily still think that, but I think who, if one of them was on the trading block, I, I wouldn't just trade CJ in a straight trade for someone. I would be loading that trade up with those disgusting contracts that I want to get rid of. I I would be shopping. CJ and Evan Turner for you know in a, in, in a three team trade whatever I, I don't care if if I'm losing two of these guys who are basically the spine of this team if I'm if I'm losing one of those two it's got to be to be freeing up space by getting rid of some of these these guys like Leonard who who has been a project and got paid on an unachievable level of potential that he was deemed to have the way it is now. I can just see purgatory for this team. I can't see that they're too good to get a decent draft pick. They're so you're like the Joe Johnson Atlanta Hawks, basically. Yeah, basically, and and until they well, look what happened when they got rid of Joe Johnson, they yeah. managed to get back pieces to to build a, a decent team for a while. Obviously, now they're disgusting, but um, <laughs> that's not that's not uh, their fault. They did have a good run for a few years. Let's move on from the Blazers because I feel I feel like I could talk about this for hours and it would be very depressing. Let's go over to the East then. Wizards versus Raptors, the one eight matchup. Tied at two two. How are you enjoying it so far? I'd like this one because there's like a you can feel the tension on the court between the players, which I think always adds to it. Um mm. there's a couple of rivals rivalries in football like that as well from the past. Arsenal Man United in the mid two thousands notably, but um I was kind of buying into the Raptors and in the last two games we've seen a couple of their... I don't think these problems are here to stay. CJ Miles commented on it yesterday. He said that down the stretch yesterday the um, DeRozan was on the ball and the other four guys were just sort of standing and watching which meant that the Wizards could float another defender over to go and help yep. on DeRozan and this was the problem for them last year is that when the original play or set broke down, the ball just stuck. And I don't know what it is. I, I don't understand it because they've been playing a free-flowing, fast offense all season. But it just stagnated. I don't. I can't work out why. It was interesting to watch because it, it very much smacked of, as you say, last season's Raptors. It was just give the ball to Rosen, spread the floor, and everyone just... Just wait and see what happens. And it was interesting that when uh, Beal fouled out, they were up 
I think. I think it was close. It was within within three, I think. He says, trying to scratch his brain. And I thought, okay, they've got a, they've got a chance to take advantage here. Beal was, I think, he was a ten of eighteen at the time. He was he was he was four or five from three. Yeah, that's surely the opportunity to blow the game open. And they just went into ISO ball, which it, it just doesn't work at this point. I hope it's not just sort of a. a a reverting to the to the mean sort of situation, and this is what we're going to now see from the Raptors. Because if we are, then they are once again in trouble. But I, I'm kind of hoping it's just a case of they went on the road. It's against a team that there is a, uh, as you say, there's a rivalry. I mean, it goes back to 2014 when they were swept in the first round, in, in my opinion. Um, and maybe there's just sort of not jitters, but just like you know when. You know when the adrenaline's a little bit too much that you, yeah. you're off. So may, maybe it's that, but they need to regroup quickly because I didn't think they'd be two until I thought they would have taken one of these games. I think I had Raptors in five, and I I've actually I think I had the Wizards winning game three. Yeah, kind of, but you know, back in front of their home crowd, then they come back down to earth. The thing that concerned me in this game is that Raptors were playing Ibaka and Jakob Pertl together. Mm-hmm. They had a terrible net rating together. So the net rating when those two play, they played 18 minutes, is minus 21. For anyone who doesn't understand, doesn't know what net rating is, it's basically how much you score when you're on the court together. So they essentially, if the game went on for 100 possessions, they'd lose by 21. But that Ibaka Pirtle um, matchup, the thing that strikes me with it is the pace goes down. So the pace between Ibaka and Valentunas. It's 105. That goes down to 96 when um, you swap Valentunas for Pirtle. And that, for me, summed up the game. It was slow. It was stagnant. It's because neither of those players are smooth offensive players. They're both kind of guys, like clunky's the word I'd use. Um, mm. Ibaka, he's brilliant. He should be on the court at all times. But for me, you have to play him alongside a skilled big and at the moment, Pirtle is not a skilled big. So I think that's one change they can make. I will say another thing as well. They have missed Fred Van Vliet. He was, well, a, a dark horse six-man of the year candidate. They've missed yeah. his intensity, and they've missed his off-the-ball work. No, I agree with that. How how have you found Kyle Lowry to be? This is the thing with Lowry, and I don't want to offend any Raptors fans. I think he's brilliant. I think he runs an offense well. I think he's a good defender, but he's not... He's not like an assertive player who I, I don't think he takes over games. And I don't think it's because he can't. I just think it's a mentality thing. He prefers to sort of do it quietly, if that makes sense. He, mm. he keeps things ticking. But I think you look at John Wall. I think Lowry's better than Wall, personally. I think John Wall is inconsistent. And I think he's he thinks he's a player he's not. But John Wall took over that game, especially, especially when Bradley Beal got ejected with five minutes left. For a bullshit sick foul, by the way. But, oh, that was an absolutely terrible call. Wasn't <laughs> I, it? I, was just, I, I looked at it. I was like, "What's going?" No, no. really. It was just yeah. the refs sometimes forget that the fans are not here to see them. You know, they're not here <laughs> for the ref show. They're here for the players. But John Wall took over that game. He was aggressive. He was getting to the, getting into the paint. He was playing outside of the system and. This begs the question, systems are good, but sometimes I think you just want a guard to take over, and Lowry just that's just not who he is. That's the way I see it anyway. No, I think they're they're fair points. But I just got the feeling that this like you say, that that last five minute, that stretch was just it was almost like panic mode. 
do you know what it could have been? It could have been the fact that they they saw Beale go out and they were like, this is our chance to do it. We need to do it. And then they they forced it, essentially. Yeah. And be- because they went to, like, come on, here's our chance. Go for it, go for it, go for it. It kind of felt a bit like um, the end of the Spurs-Warriors uh, matchup last night, which I know we're, we're not really going to talk about at all. But um, that, to me, was where when it sort of got close in the fourth and then KD tried to take over and everyone else watched. And it... We've said before about, in fact, it was might have been the last pod when we referred to ball movement of, um, I don't know who, which team it was, but about how lovely their ball movement was. The minute the ball starts sticking and people stand there, it just it just looks horrible and it's so much easier to defend. Yeah, and that's the thing. This is not a Wizards defense that's particularly good either. You know, they keep playing Gortat. I don't know why he's not offering anything, but... What I'm saying is the way to beat the Wizards is just have a lot of motion. Keep the ball moving, keep the players moving. And the Raptors' sets, they're really good. You know, that you don't get to mm. top five in offensive efficiency, generally, um, if they're not good. And I think it's just a case of sticking to what they've been good at all year. And I think a lot of it, you've got to remember, this is a very young team. I know, like, you know, Baka, Lowry have been around forever. You've got Ananobi, DeLon Wright. Jakob Pertl, they're all playing big minutes, so it's a learning curve for them. But I felt last night was a mentality problem rather than sort of a scheme problem. I think they'll get it right in Game 5. Yeah, it, it, I think they, they've got to. They cannot give up a game on their home court, simple as, which is easy to say, actually, because there's only potentially two games left there, and either one well, would either mean a victory for the Wizards or would put the ball very firmly in the Wizards' court. Just, just to stick with the Wizards a minute, because uh, they've obviously been through a bit of controversy this season uh, in terms of the, the identity of the team, whether or not this is Beal or Wall's team, whether anyone actually likes John Wall. Uh, after game two, they had a, a team meeting with Scott... Well, I say team meeting. Wall, Beal and, and Brooks met to have a chat. Did you hear about this? Yeah. What, what did you make of this? Sort of the whole... Uh, Brooks has said since that he didn't apologise. So essentially, for those who haven't heard... Uh, Bradley Bill complained he wasn't getting good enough looks. Scott Brooks essentially apologised for this, although he has subsequently denied that it was an apology. Is this just another, you know, another thing we should get used to with the Wizards, or is 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 this is this something different? Do you do you like this? The fact that the the two heads of this team could go and speak with a coach and uh, what's your feel for it? I kind of I like those kind of things, but I do think the Wizards should move on from Scott Brooks this summer. My main knock on Brooks as a coach is I felt in OKC his offensive scheme was poor. The ball stuck mm-hmm. a lot. It was really based on what I call individual basketball. It's the same knock I've got on the Timberwolves system where you're basically giving it to your best players and you're going, yeah, just go and make us a play. I don't like schemes like that. I like schemes that, like the jazz, ball movement, player movement, creating open looks. And I can actually sympathise with Beal because if you watch him, they use him on like just a couple of plays. Whereas I think mm-hmm. if you get a guy like that with Brad Stevens or Quinn Snyder or someone like that, they're going to max optimise him a lot more than Scott Brooks has. So I I like that Wall and Beal are sort of taking taking the ball to Scott Brooks's court, but I actually do think they should move on from Scott Brooks this summer. Yeah, it would be an interesting one. Um, I, I'm not a big Brooks fan. I'm, tr- I'm just trying to think of, of who would be a good a good coach for this team. 
Um, you've got someone like Ettore Messina. He is due a job. Mm-hmm. He's due a job. You've got maybe Fisdale. I don't, yeah. I don't know how he'd work with Wall because he fell out with Gasol and Wall is seems a bit more um, big personality. But there, I think there are names available and Stotts could become available. That would be nice. Um, but it's... I just... I don't rate Brooks in the sense that I know I know it's two and two and I two two now and I maybe I feel like I'm being harsh but I Wall and Beal are both like really really good players for me this is how the series should be when you've got John Wall and Bradley Beal two of the top what six guards in the East probably if you were to rank them all they'd probably both be in the top sort of six or seven so I think this is where they should be they should not be the eight seed but they should be competing in the playoffs with this roster. Well, that's exactly the next the next point I was going to make. So this is the the one versus eight seed, but there's no way this this Wizards team is an eighth seed. This should have been a second round matchup. Yeah, I mean, you look at Miami. I know I will say one thing: the Wizards did have some injuries. Uh, John Moore missed mm-hmm. a lot of time, but they were pretty good when John Moore went down. Um, yeah, yeah. I look at this roster, and we, we haven't even mentioned Otto Porter. That guy's a really good third player because he just plays primarily off the ball. Which is this? You know, that's that is the option a lot of teams with two high-powered guards don't have. Is that guy who will just happily move off the ball? But I don't think Brooks has done a good job this year. I think he did a good job last year, but then again, mm-hmm. what we saw on the pod was all he did was be better than Randy Whitman. That's not like <laughs> that's not a massive achievement. So yeah, I I think the Wizards. You know, we spoke a minute about the Blazers and what I'm going to call the gold rush as well. Now they signed Jan Mahimi. That contract has just screwed them because they've got no bench flexibility. They picked up Mike Scott. He's been pretty solid in this series. But I think the Wizards front office are going to look at this season. And I think Brooks is at minimum going to have sort of an inquest when if they lose this series as to, well, you know, why were we the eight seed? Why were we having to go up against the one seed in the first place? How how do you see this season? Uh, this season, this series, uh, f- you know, f- ending up then? Because I think orig- I think I had it four two maybe originally. Um, again, thinking that well, I thought they would uh, split this bit and then go. Actually, no, I can't remember what I said. So that's that's just absolute tosh. But I'm pretty sure I had it down as four two. Do you do you see it going seven now? I think it will go seven. I just, but I don't think it's going to be like a seven-game series where you think, "Oh my god!" You know, going into game seven, the Wizards have a chance. The Wizards are terrible on the road in the playoffs. I think they're one and six on the road in the playoffs under Brooks. So I don't. You remember the Wizards Celtics game last year that went to seven? That was yeah. the home team won every time. This Wizards team just doesn't get it done on the road. I I don't think it's going to be a seven-game series, but I don't think any of the games. Um, other than maybe game six are going to be very close I I think it's been been a lot closer than it should have been Uh, I don't want it to go to seven I don't know why I don't want it to go to seven because I always love a game seven but I just I I think I I want it to be shorter than that because I want to have some faith that in the next round the Raptors are going to going to be back to more what they were in the regular season because if they continue down this path and the old Raptors come back, then, then what's what's this season been for for me? Because it, 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 I say for me for, for them because this was supposed to be the revolution, the next stage. They rejigged everything, and now it seems to be reverting back. And if if it does that, I just 
it just seems like a massive waste for me. And then and then questions will come back about Casey, despite his regular season success. And I, I think they're probably unfair. A lot of the criticisms he's been getting, um, maybe not in previous years, but and and this year it's quite and down. But I think it would all come back straight away. We're very we're very good at uh, finding ways to pick at people. Um, let's move on then to the Pacers and the Cavaliers, who are tied at two and two. Did you see this being this close? Um, I'm going to 100% right. Before the series started, no, I thought the Cavs would win. Then I watched George Hill and Tristan Thompson and J.L. Smith try to play basketball in 2018. And I thought LeBron is really in for it here. And this is going to be a tough series. And every game has been really close. Now, I think a lot of that is because the Pacers, they've got some proper... I call grinders on their team. You've got Fad Young and Miles Turner. That's a pretty tough front court. I mean, Oladipo just denies penetration to guards like it's his job. Um, but but LeBron James again. He played forty six minutes last night. That is the reality, because when he's off the court, they've got nothing. Mm. That that's what worries me. Um, I I will hold my hands up. I in the preseason prediction, I know I called this as four one. I just thought. Pace is going to get steamrolled here. I, I, my faith in LeBron was that high, but I really wasn't expecting no one else on this Cavs team to to show up. We know that we know they're terrible at defense. That's nothing's going to change that. But this team's been able to survive by just outscoring teams, and and here they're they're meeting a team that's, I think they're about thirteenth in in defensive rating and about fifteenth in offensive rating. So they are statistically just a middle of the pack kind of kind of team they're overachieving in my opinion I think they've done fantastically with what they've got Oladipo if he's not player of the year uh, sorry player most improved player of the year then um somebody somewhere needs to to <laughs> to get a good kicking and they, they just took game in the in game one it was just the energy they came out with the aggression the the lack of fear was just fantastic I don't see. I can't. I don't know what the Cavs need to do to get everyone else to wake up. I really don't. You can't. You can't be this. They could. They'll get through this series. I still think so. Um, I still think that because LeBron is LeBron. They will still get through it because he can. He can average forty minutes a game and he can put up thirty-five points a game. But what good is that to them in the next round and the next round? Because he's just going to be knackered. And you've got these other guys who are supposed to be savvy vets, scorers, all stars in Kevin Love, who just are failing to 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 support him. Yeah, and you spoke there about players waking up. I think even if they did wake up, some of these guys, how many of them would you call playoff level players? I'd say Kevin Love. I know he's not showing it, but we know what he can do. I've saw in Minnesota what he can do. Who else is good? George Hill to me, I hate the term washed up. I'm going to use it. He looks done. He took a, he played really physical minutes in Indiana for four or five years. Same at Utah last year. I think he's done. I think his shelf life is it's approaching out of date. It's going to be reduced very soon. Um, <laughs> then, then you look at the rest, Tristan Thompson. I mean, that guy can't even sort his personal life out, so I don't know how you can expect him to come on a basketball court and contribute. Jay- Kyle Corver's good, I will say that. Kyle Corver was good last night, but he doesn't defend anyone. And if Kyle Corver is your second best player, which I think he has been in this series, you're in a lot of trouble. And this is where, I can't believe I'm saying this, but they miss Kyrie because 
Kyrie could go. You know, this Cavs offense now, all it's a it's a fast offense. That's what they do. And if it's not fast, it's because LeBron is going one on one. They don't have anyone else now who can go one on one, and that and that's really been the problem. They've just got they've got nothing. Do Do you feel that there's um. Oh. So that the the Cavs players are, are deferring too much to LeBron and expecting him to carry it, and maybe that it's because these guys. This is why the, Ty Lue's made the uh, the change in my in my thought in my mind anyway. Um, the guys like uh, Clarkson and Rodney Hood and that they they've been in awe of LeBron for so long that they're just stood on the the court sort of watching him go to work rather than helping him. Yeah, but the question, you know, again, I'll come back to is how much can they help him? For me, their trade deadline, they went and signed a load of role players, people on 2K who are rated like, you know, 76 overall. And I think they thought, oh, LeBron can carry this lot, but I just don't think he can. I, I don't, Rodney Hood is supposed to have, he's supposed to be breaking out for the last four years. It's not happened. He's a decent shooter. I don't see what else he does. If you give him the ball, he's going to get rid of it very quickly. Um, they've signed Co- Jose Calderon. I, I I still don't get that. And I think yeah, I don't get that. and that one's on LeBron because LeBron was like, oh, we need a traditional point guard. Well, he was a traditional point guard in his day, and he was a good one, but he's he's old now. You know, he doesn't offer a lot anymore either. So. I I get what you're saying. I think a lot of people are saying, well, LeBron can do this, but. LeBron is playing out of his mind. He's playing 46 minutes and they only won by four. Mm-hmm. That That's what concerns me about this series. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't see the Cavs going any further. You think they'll get bounced in round one? No, if they, sorry, I meant if they win this series. Because as you just said, LeBron has taken a beating. Mm-hmm. And I believe they would face Toronto if the winner of that series. Yep. Toronto, I know we just slightly critiqued them. <laughs> but they've they've got other guys who step up. LeBron has no one. Kevin Love five points. I'm sorry, that's not good enough. That's a guy who in Minnesota carried the offensive load for three years. I know that was six years ago, but the talent's there. He's done it in the past. I just, I think it's quite sad that this is how LeBron's Cleveland era might end, with him playing with a bunch of role players. It it does it does feel. That the door is closing. If they if they if they go out before the finals, surely that just reinforces his his uh, the, the the reasons why he would leave. I mean, I look, I look at it the, the the point spread at the minute. So for the series, LeBron's averaging thirty two point five. Kevin Love's then next with twelve. That's just just a horrific drop off. It should be ten points higher than that for Kevin Love. If you're a, exactly. if you're a number two option player next to LeBron James. You've got to be averaging at least 20 points a game. Because one thing I would say about LeBron, it's not like he's a shot chucker. He will get you the ball in the positions you like it. He's very unselfish. That's 12 points is not good enough. So maybe it's still health issues for, for Love, but you'd, you'd think he could... you know. And then J.R. Smith after that, 10 points, 8.7 for, for George Hill. And then if you go to the, the ball movement side of it, so we know everything's run through LeBron... Well, he's averaging eight assists a game, but the team as a whole is only averaging seventeen point five, yeah. which is just—it's just like if the ball's not in LeBron's hands, it's not moving, and no one's scoring really when he is giving them the ball. It's just—it's just these these role players are not fulfilling their roles. And that's the thing, you know, LeBron for some reason has these sort of 
what I call haters on social media. People are like, oh, he's got enough to get it done. I mean, I don't know what what basketball they've been watching for the last two years, but how is Rod how is Rodney Hood, Jordan Clarkson, and Larry Nance enough to get it done in the playoffs? Because I'm gonna I'm gonna put this to you now. So LeBron is the best player in this series. But could you argue at this point that the second, third, and fourth best players in this series all play on the paces? Because I would. I think, oh, absolutely. I think yeah. Oladipo, Turner, and um, what's his name? Bogdanovich. Yeah, Bogdanovich. To be honest, you could argue someone like Thad Young as well. Yeah. He's certainly more productive than Love, especially on defensive end. So LeBron, he. this is the first time, I think, that since I, I started following basketball in depth, as I call it, 2011. This is the first LeBron roster I've seen that just isn't enough to get it done. No, I, I, I agree. I, I mean, I was trying to remember the last time I, I thought the uh, the Cavs were this bad and, and did, were able to succeed. And I think we were going back to like, I think it was, I want to say 2007 when they lost to the Spurs, but I can't remember the exact year because it was more than a decade ago. And I've already mentioned a couple of times how bad my memory is this week. Um <laughs> Was that, but the, was the that, paces. Was that when his second best player was, I don't know his name, that Lithuanian guy? Zydrunas Ilgalskis. Yeah, was that when like he was one of the yeah, he big guys the with him? Yeah. yeah, it was not a good roster at all. Yeah, so the uh, so the paces then. I'm I'm enjoying watching these guys play. I'm happy for this series. You know, If they win the series, great. But if they don't, I would like to see the series go all the way to seven. Because I think Oladipo is just... You know he's not been great every game, but he is just scary to watch. His speed is just incredible. The guy can stop on a dime, and I just think that as a team they are really they want it. They they know they're the underdogs, and they're just like yeah. But you th- whatever you get, you're gonna have to work your ass off for. Yeah, I read a really good interview with um, I think it was Darren Collison where he was saying that. The Pacers, I mean, we on this podcast, we ridiculed um, their off-season, especially that George show. We were like, oh, my God, they've just traded for, you know, an, an average guard. And Collison was essentially saying, actually, we took note of all those headlines from ESPN, from Bleacher Report, from Sports Illustrated, whoever whoever you want to go to. And they, they all play with a chip on their shoulder because of it. And I think that's quite dangerous if you can sort of, because you've still got to be a disciplined basketball team. A lot of players have chips on their shoulder, but they play hard. Uh, they're really, I think, the only t- team in the league at the moment making two sort of more traditional bigs work. I think a lot of teams that have tried it just can't get it to work. And it's the depth with the Pacers as well. They get they get decent play from their bench, which is, I think, the difference between them and the Cavs at the moment. Yeah, well, I, I mentioned the breakdown of, of points on the Cavs, if you go through the same thing for the Pacers, um, yes, Solo Depot's at 22.3, which is 10 points per game less than LeBron. But then you've got three other guys averaging between 10 and 15 points and another three averaging over nine points. So the spread there and just the whole sort of sharing the ball approach is is, is paying dividends. They're, they're two and two, but like we've said before the series... Many people, including myself, had had ruled them out of anything but a sweep. Yeah, and a player I'm I imagine you were a big fan of his dad, but Demontis Sabonis, he's brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. I look at him and the way he plays, and I see what Kevin Love should be doing. If that makes sense, yeah. 
getting touches at the elbow, passing to cutters. Yeah. Smooth roll. I'm completely with you. That is, that's why I love Sabonis. I think he's going to be such a good player. And I think he's actually been one of the reasons these games have been close. He just gives, he gives the pace of something from the bench that the Cavs don't get from anyone. Yeah, I I totally agree. So, so you had the Cavs going through? I'm, it's, it's hard to call. I'm going to, my he- my heart says Pacers in seven, but my head says Cavs in seven. So I'm going to yeah. stick with Cavs in seven, but I think the beating LeBron is going to take physically, I don't think they're going to get out of the second round. See, I'm I'm sticking with Cavs because I just, I just can't rule him out. No. I just can't rule LeBron out and, and until he's been taken out. It's just, I just, you know, I saw someone the other day, uh, they remain nameless, but a friend of the show uh, tweeted out, uh, is this your king with the clip of him not running back on D and I was just like what more do you want this guy to do it's just like yeah he, he didn't run back on that play and yes he is guilty of doing that at times but take a little load off you know the rest of his the rest of his output and and then maybe you'll see that it's just the guy's the guy's 33 he's still playing some of the best basketball in his career leave him leave him alone yeah, I've become much more of a LeBron lover in my uh, as we've both matured as as individuals and basketball players. He's a, obviously I'm not the basketball player. Um, let's move on then. Let's quickly go around some of the other uh, matchups in the league. We won't go into too much detail on them though. Timberwolves and the Rockets. It's uh, currently two one at time of recording. Big win, hundred twenty one hundred and five. Two days ago, was it now Saturday night? Yeah, yeah Saturday night. What what are your thoughts so far on on how the Timberwolves have done? Uh, the first game was abysmal. Uh, the last two, actually, to be fair, they've been pretty good. We were really good in the um, in game three. Thibodeau's game plan was to push the pace and start all the offense in the post with Wiggins and Butler. It worked really well. I've got to be honest. When when I saw but Wiggins posting up on the first play of the game, I was thinking, oh god, here we go again. Like he's just gonna fade away jumper his way and we're going to lose the game. But I've got to be honest, his game plan was really good. And we've done a good job on Harden as well. I mean, I, he went 9 for 21 with 3 of 8 from downtown in game 3. But we we got into his... We we uh, rustled his rhythm a lot. Yeah, he's he seems to have stuttered a bit this series. He's been off and on. And it's it's interesting. I, th- I think that's... I think that's the Jimmy Butler effect. You mentioned earlier, sort of Jimmy's the the, the guy who takes the best player on an opponent's team. I I think that, that he is able where he's where he's a physical guy and he's he he has size on on Harden. He's able to negate some of Harden's craftiness essentially. But Harden is struggling, and the Rockets as a whole are struggling. It's got to be more than just the absence of Mbaramute, surely, that's causing this this team to be you know. Juttering. I'm not concerned about their um, their defense because we were third in offense efficiency. And even though I don't believe that's just the way you should judge an offense, even if you look past those numbers, we've got a lot of good offensive players, and we've got guys like Rose and Crawford who can, even though I don't like either of them, they can get hot when they need to. I'm worried about the offense. I don't understand this isolation brand they're playing. Um, I've got to be honest. When I see Harden bring the ball up the court and I just see the other four guys push out to the corners and him go one-on-one with Butler, I think, thank Christ for that. Because we cannot defend against motion. 
If if teams are going to ISO against us, we're fine with it. That's why we've got a good record against Russell Westbrook this year because we're fine defending that. It's the team defense we've got that's the problem. But they're not even attacking it at all. They're just giving it to one of their guards and they're going right. We're gonna and we're not gonna run any action until the clock hits six seconds. I I don't get it. When I look at how they're playing, I don't see how that gets past Golden State. Well. I I, th- I think the Golden State matchup is going to come down to injuries myself, but I I the way they're playing now, it just seems so different from from the way they were rolling in the regular season, and may- maybe it is the an increase in defensive intensity, but I haven't really I haven't really seen that if that makes sense. It it doesn't feel like a different level of defense. Uh, I may be wrong. Um, Carl Anthony Towns, he's taken a bit of stick, including from me, for his performances in game one and two. What what have you thought of, of him in particular then so far in his playoff debut? Um, I feel a bit sorry for him because the criticism, you know my views on it, it goes too far. You know, there's one thing saying, Oh, Towns had a bad playoff. That's a fact, you know, you're allowed people are allowed to say it. it's when people go, you know, he's a fraud, he's overrated. People who've watched probably two Timberwolves games this year saying he's overrated. It, it's a 70 30, 70% of the problems are on Thibodeau and our guards. None of our guards know how to make an, a post-entry pass, apart from <laughs> apart from Butler, but, you know, he's not a guard. He's a, a small forward. None of them know how to enter it in the post. And Thibodeau, he doesn't know how to use him. He Post-ups are great when you've got a player like Towns, but you need to. we need to use him how Dallas used to use Dirk. Get him at the elbow because you said earlier of Anthony Davis. If teams front him in the post, he just spins in behind. We've got to get Towns doing that. And to be mm. honest, we did do it a little bit more in this game. There was it was his first bucket of the game. Halfway through the second, he dunked it on Capella and he like shouted in his face. Um, I think that was a what I call a uh, a relief dunk where he was just so angry and he was so relieved he got off the board, but. The other problem is he's not an assertive player. Um, he's a no. he's a very good player, but you look at someone like Davis. He gets that ball. He's physical. He's a bully. I don't know if you've seen the. Uh, it's quite. A, it's a bit of a meme at the moment. It's a picture where Towns is backing down Cousins in the post. It's from ages no. ago. Have you seen that one? No, no, I haven't. Basically, I'm gonna I'm gonna look for it after the show. Though. Basically, Towns has just got this look on his face. That basically, says get you know, please move. He just looks. He looks a bit <laughs> desperate, um, and that's yeah. that is something that he's got to work. On. He's got to be more aggressive. Yeah, he ha- he has seemed to sort of he- be hesitant and settle for for mid range sort of longish twos, yeah. particularly over the first couple of games. Sorry, uh, carry on. He passes up a lot of threes as well. He's got to stop. Yes. He's got to stop doing that. Just shoot the damn ball. You shoot. I think he shot like forty two percent from three. That's that's ridiculous for a seven footer. Just take the shot. But part of the problem we have, and I'm going to go on Derek Rose again. Derek Rose had 16 <laughs> shots, and you know a lot of his. He's got the weirdest fans in the world, by the way. They are freaks. Like they, some of them, <laughs> some of them need mental help. If you t- if you tweet anything about Derek Rose, you're going to get some like 20 year old college student from Chicago calling you stupid. So I would recommend not tweeting about it. But I still do, and. The problem I've got with Rose is, yes, he went 8 of 16, put up 17 points, but that's all he does. He doesn't defend, he doesn't pass. 
there was one play where he came down off a flare screen from Taj Gibson and he had both corner shooters. What Crawford was open in one corner, Butler was open in the other, and he instead tried a layup against Clint Capella. I just thought, what, what the hell are you doing? Like it's it's bizarre. And I think that and this does relate to Towns. I think when you've got Crawford and Rose as your two guards off the bench, of course Towns isn't gonna get the ball because neither of those guys pass. That they're not playmakers. You know, Crawford doesn't want to to um fire an entry pass into the post. He wants to just ISO and shoot some ridiculous fadeaway jumper. So I don't think the roster is equipped to get the best out of Towns. I don't think our coach is equipped the best, but Towns could help himself by being a bit more aggressive. Yeah, no, I agree with that. My my just going back to the, the post entry passes comment, my favourite moment of the entire series was game two where Teague threw the uh an entry pass down in the right hand corner and it was stolen, I can't remember who by it, and then for the next five minutes all you could hear in the background was Tibbs just going, Teague! Teague, that's on you, Teague. That's not cat. And I was just like, "This is brilliant." And that was a terrible Tibbs impression. <laughs> that's that was all I could hear. <laughs> I don't know how he does it. My throat's sore just from doing it for like five <laughs> seconds. But yeah, that was my favorite. I was just chuckling for like a good five minutes at it. It was, uh, it was brilliant. Um, okay, let's move on uh, from that matchup. Let's go Jazz Thunder then. So two one to the Jazz. Are the Thunder done? Um, I'm not going to roll out a team with Russell Westbrook and Paul George. They're rattled, though. I mean, did you see yeah. Westbrook's comments where he was like, I'm going to lock down Ricky Rubio? You go ahead, Russ, and you lock down a guard who averages 13 <laughs> points a game and shoots 41% from the field. You go ahead and do that. Um, I'm really happy for Ricky Rubio because he did a lot of good work in Minnesota that went unnoticed. He does have his flaws. They're overanalyzed. He's... I think he's the best defensive point guard I've seen in the league, certainly since I started watching basketball. He's a great passer. He doesn't make any stupid decisions. If the shot's not there, he will try and get himself a better one. But the Thunder, this is the issue that I've had with them all season. They're so streaky. One minute they look like a 60-win team, the next minute they look like a 25-win team. And that's the vibe I got in Game 3. I think that's one of the difficulties of trying to sort of mould three guys who are used to being the guy on a team in, into one. That it's, it's just some nights it works, and and they suddenly look like the best thing that's that's ever happened. And then other times it's just like, hold on a sec here, we've got a few guys totally not on the same page. Whereas whereas the Jazz is much more of a a cohesive team unit. Um, I still can't believe the numbers that, that Donovan Mitchell's putting up. It's just it's just incredible. Uh, if if Russ wants to go at Westbrook, great. But I don't think. Uh, sorry, if <laughs> if Russ wants to go at Rubio, then great. But I I don't think that's really cutting the head off the snake. Despite the fact, you know, he's sort of averaging pretty close to a triple double. Um, is Paul George gone if the Jazz get through this series? Yeah, I think he is. I think if they win it, he'll stay, though. My my worry... I'm looking at the starting five for the Thunder in this game. How you can have a, a starting wing trio of George, Brewer, and Anthony. First of all, Brewer shouldn't even be in the league. He We had him in Minnesota. He was... I know I exaggerate on this podcast sometimes. He might be the worst player I've seen in a Tim Balls uniform. 
So, hang on, hang on. In one game, he definitely got 60 points and five steals <laughs> and joined Alan Iverson and someone that else was, was the only guys that to That was do it. honestly the only positive memory of him. He was just driving. How he's seeing minutes in the playoffs is beyond me. But what I see with Brewer is he's not a guy who spaces the floor. He is a sort of, he's got tunnel vision. He gets to the ball and he's thinking, I'm just going to drive straight to the basket. I don't care who's open. And that, for me, summarises what I see in the Thunder offence. They've got a lot of guys who attack downhill. They don't kick it out. And you've just kind of got Stephen Adams. He only had six shots in Game 3. Adams should be averaging at least double that in attempts for me. Because I think the rest, the Westbrook uh, Adams pick and roll is their best play. And they're not using it enough. It, it is a pretty unstoppable play. Because the minute you... If you leave Russ, it's a dunk. Yeah. If you go to Russ... It's a dunk. <laughs> it's it's. I've I've professed many times my my love for Stephen Adams. Um, he's incredibly underutilized. I know I'm not I'm not I'm not the. You know I'm, I don't think he's a, an amazing superstar kind of player, but I just think that he is a tireless workhorse who will give you effort on both ends of the floor, and you can just run stuff through. Like he's he's never going to be um, an all star kind of guy. Um, but he is just—he's a linchpin to a team for me. And if 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 they're not exploiting that, then well, more fool them. Um, Carmelo Anthony, let's go on to him for a bit. He's putting up fifteen points this series. Uh, do, do you see him being in a Thunder jersey next year? Do you do you think anyone's going to be willing to pay this guy the money he wants? Well, no, because you know he's not good anymore. <laughs> I love how brutal you are. Just shut it straight down. No, yeah, I, cool. <laughs> I used to like him. I thought he was over criticised in the New York days. If you look at where they are now, I don't think that's on him. They didn't have much support, really. You know, they they had like Steve Novak as their best second best player at one point. I just my issue with Melo is I actually do think he's a decent shooter, but he still wants to be this guy, this sort of ISO guy. He doesn't play make. He's not a good defender. I just wouldn't want to pay a guy like that big money. No. But I think someone will. I think there's going to be an idiot team out there who thinks, oh, this Sacramento. is Carmelo Anthony. Yeah, exactly. We're going to sell tickets <laughs> because he was good four or five years ago. Well, that's great in practice, but hes I don't think he's going to improve a team. No, I, I think you're, you're bang on there. I just, just, just have to mention him every time because it's just a... Where where his potential was and where his actual career has gone, I I it's it's a disappointment for me. But let's not dwell on that because we've still got some uh matchups to, to quickly go through. Let's go uh Bucks and Celtics. So tied two two after a last second tip in in game four last night, hundred and four, hundred and two win. Are the Bucks gonna come out of this or is it still Boston series? Um it's still Boston series, but Boston's offense is just pathetic. It's, it is so. It's just so stagnant. That's the that's the only word I can think of. Yes, they've got a lot of injuries. I'm aware of that, but it's just ugly. You know, you've got Marcus Morris playing 26 minutes. He only knows how to play one way. He's a slow player. That's what he does. They, for me, this Bucks team. I think they're the worst coach team in the playoffs comfortably. I'm a little bit concerned that this is tied. I I really think Boston should have been looking at. 
wrapping this one up a lot earlier than it has been. Worst coach team in the playoffs. I'm going to pick up on that. What What is it about Prunty? Because he is getting a hell of a lot of of negative uh, coverage at the minute. Just his his sort of whole game plan, his inability to to get the most out of these guys. But to be fair to him, this isn't a great roster. It's not. It's an overrated roster as well, in my opinion. Um, you know, since we've had all the the access to statistics in in the NBA, it's great, by the way. I love it. But I think it's caused some good players to be seen as great players. Chris Middleton springs to mind. He's a good player. He's not a great player. Bledsoe, I don't really understand him. He's For me, he's a streaky downhill guard with a clear attitude problem. But the, the issue I've got with this team is you watch them when Giannis comes downhill. The spacing is terrible. Now, a lot of spacing problems are personnel-based. But if you actually watch them when Giannis attacks, they all kind of like... It's, it looks to me like they're trying to go for offensive rebounds. But you're just going to... Your field goal percentage goes down when you constrict into the paint in 2018. Especially when you've got someone like Giannis who doesn't have a jump shot. You know what he's going to do. I just think this team offensively, I think they're just they don't get high percentage shots, is what I'm getting at. Yeah, I I was going down a similar route earlier, but uh, sort of how they they don't have enough decent shooters around. And I was looking into uh, their their three point field goal attempts, and out of the, out of everyone in the playoffs, they're ranking at. Um, da, 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 Milwaukee Bucks are fourteenth, so they're only, they're only putting up twenty three point five. So right near the, the bottom, of three point three pointers attempted. They're hitting a, a fairly decent amount. Uh, they also average. This is a cool stat. I, I also love the stats, by the way. They also average the the shortest shot. Um, in in the playoffs at the minute, their their average shot is eleven feet or something like that, which which tells you that they're either. That they're not shooting a huge amount of threes and everything is coming pretty much right in by the hoop. Um, just a random thing I was looking at earlier, as I do. I I think I think Prunty's been given a hard time. This is this is not his construction. And this guy, people are like oh, I've never heard of Joe Prunty. He's been in the league for years. He's won three titles with the Spurs as an assistant. He worked his way up from a video coordinator. He then spent time with Dallas when they made the finals, um, and was the finals they lost the Heat. He was he was an assistant on that. He then went to the Blazers for a bit, which is not why I know him. Uh, and then he went Nets, where he, where he sort of teamed up with with Kid. I, he just I, I don't know. I just feel that people are, uh, he's becoming a scapegoat very easily for for a team that is in, incredibly flawed. I agree with you. And when I said badly coached, that was kind of a, more of a slight adjacent kid they could have hired David Fisdale I don't think it would have made much difference I don't know what changes you can make in the middle of the season really you know you cool. <laughs> I mean you even go back and look at like David Black when he got fired and Lou took over honestly not a, yeah. not a lot changed it was just kind of a an attitude change because Black who people didn't like was out of there but I think with Prunty I don't think he's going to get the job full time he's going to get an assistant no, job he's not but I think people have got to realise the limitations of this roster. Fon Maker is another guy that people love on NBA Twitter. He's a very limited player. He's a good defender, but he doesn't have any offensive skill. That's that should that for me should be their next step. They need to go out there, 
and they need to find an offensive playmaker, a front court player to go alongside Giannis because I don't think Jabari Parker is the answer. No, I'm 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 not convinced, and I've I've sort of tried to hang on to the the Parker bandwagon for a while as as to why he should be on this team, but it's starting to just watching them. It's starting to make me feel like it's probably time to to move him him on, and that's not even because I still think for a guy who's come back from two huge knee injuries, he is incredibly athletic and has a tremendous amount of potential. Um, let's go to the, to the Celtics then quickly. What what are you making of as I heard them called earlier the J team? Um, I like Jalen Brown. He's he's been really fun to watch. Other than him, I don't see a lot. Terry Rozier, he's a bit of a meme because he used to he used to be the subject of jokes. Oh, Danny Ainge won't trade for this star if he has to give up Terry Rozier, and now he's seen as this sort of lockdown guy. He does shoot under forty percent from the field, which is again why I can't fully get behind him. But I think Brad Stevens is doing a really good job with this roster. You know, they've got no Kyrie, no Marcus Smart, no Gordon Hayward. That is three of their four most important players. I'm not. I if I was a Celtics fan, I'd be enjoying this because it's like, oh my god, we're going to win a playoff series without all these guys. But as a neutral, I it's might upset some of our Celtics fans. I just find the brand of basketball just it's uh, this is a bad series to watch. It's uh, the offense is so stagnant for both teams. I'm, I I think yeah, you're right. As as a Boston fan, great, we're going to win a series. Um, also, just enjoy it in general because a lot of Boston fans are, are quite. Uh, how do I put this politely? They're um sensitive, and they they needn't be here. There's no like they're not going to win the title. Let's just let's be clear on that. And I've seen people, Celtics fans, who still seem to think they are. Uh, just there's no pressure here. Go out, have fun, get some amazing opportunities for for Jalen and Jason to to get huge, sort of meaningful reps at the sort of the 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 peak of the NBA season but just just be excited because this team is going to add two all-stars back into the lineup in about 6 months time and that should be a really 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 sort of fun ride uh yeah that's that's all I've got to say on it at the minute I I the series to me I I like the fact that it's been close but it has been scrappy and tough to watch. Yeah, I've, I'll be honest. I've really, I haven't watched any of these games live apart from the one where Middleton hit the stupid shot at the end of the game. I've watched all the rest on catch up, and they were tough watches. But it doesn't matter because Celtics fans are obviously going to be very happy. Yeah. Okay. So quickly on to the Heat and Seventy Sixers. Um, I've actually really enjoyed this series. I think the the, the 76ers have, have have made their mark in in the league, and we talk about them a lot um, in recent weeks, and have given Ben Simmons an incredible amount of love, and it all appears to be well deserved. Uh, they're up three one on the Heat. Uh, do you think they get it done in five? Yeah, I do. The Heat have they've played their hearts out, and I think actually the way they've played has actually won a lot of Miami fans back over. I think a lot of Miami fans mm-hmm. they weren't happy with the off season. They felt it was unambitious, but they've realised this team plays their hearts out. There's a lot of young guys, Josh Richardson, Justice Winslow, of high ceilings. The Sixers are just, this isn't going to be very analytical. They're just too good. 
they're yeah, gonna absolutely. they're gonna go to the finals. Who's who's stopping them in the Eastern Conference? Well, that they're looking more and more like it, and I've I've talked them I've talked them down a few times in the past few weeks. Their their winning streak wasn't against great competition, blah 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 blah. But they have really just hit another level in the playoffs so far, and the Heat are not a pushover. You're absolutely right. They're a tough team. They're a disciplined team, and yet, you know, they find themselves three-one down. That it's just, yeah, they're great. So let's go final matchup really quickly. Uh, it is the Warriors who are three-one up on the Spurs after the Spurs took a one hundred and three to ninety win last night. Was it last night? Yeah, it was last night. Um, in which we had a, a retro Manu game in the end. That was really the only positive thing from this series for the Spurs. They got to see Ginobili do one more good thing. As for the, you know, some people are saying, is this maybe a sign that the Warriors are vulnerable? I don't think so. Everything went wrong for them. Clay had an awful game. They still don't have their best player back. And yes, I am calling Steph Curry the best player. Um, I don't know. I just, I haven't enjoyed watching the Spurs this year. Which, which is sad to say because they have been one of my just all-time favourite sports teams, let alone NBA teams. I just This game for me, it was just kind of there. I, I didn't really enjoy it. I know I sound really negative talking about the last couple of matchups, but it's just I've seen the Spurs be much better, so it's quite hard to watch them in this form. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um I kind of felt last night was almost a, a statement game as well. Like uh, the way that this organisation has been run, obviously uh, over the last twenty years, the influence that, that Popovich has had. Of course, he wasn't coaching the game last night um, because of, of the, the death of his wife. Uh, I, I don't know if they've announced whether he'll coach Game Five, but I wouldn't be surprised if if that that's it for for him for the year. It kind of feels now that yes, they've got one game, but but this series is is done. Um, so I don't really see what the point would be. Great to see Manu playing like a younger Manu uh, in what was possibly his last home game. I, I kind of it's really sad to see people sort of talking about hanging it up. And yes, he, he sort of bounced back from a terrible game three, but when you see them play to that level and, and still put some of those moves on, I'm still like you can still do it. And it's just you just can't do it every night. But it's just like. It's it's going to be a huge loss when that it's it's the end of an era. You've got Manu going. Tony's on his way out quickly. Feels like the Spurs are are going to be breaking up as a dynasty. But the Warriors, yeah, like you say, everything went wrong for them. I hated the way they went to ISO ball. It was the this sort of anti-warrior basketball. It really reminded me of Thunder in 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 years gone by when it was KD's go then Russ's go. That I don't know. It just. It just felt like there there was one point in the end where they had Nick Young um in one corner, Clay Thompson in another corner. Uh I'm trying to remember who the other guy was they had on. It was another shooter. But anyway, they they had they spread this floor and then just went one on one with zero ball movement. I was just like, This is not the Warriors I've grown accustomed to. But the good news is we should get round two for some teams starting next weekend. If not uh, round two, then game seven. So next weekend's viewing should be also very, very good. You got anything you want to add at all? No. Cool. Uh, well, we'll wrap it up there. Uh, after what has actually been a monster pod, we thought we were going to get done quickly. We're now at close, closing in at one fifteen. 
Thank you very much for listening. Make sure you check us out on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at Double Clutch UK. Check out the website doubleclutch.uk. Uh, very easy to remember all of those. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. <laughs>